I'm Damian Bolwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, paying for California's catastrophic fires. Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill, AB 1054, in response to the state's ongoing crisis. Among other things, it creates a $21 billion fund for fire damages caused by utilities like PG&E. Energy reporter J.D. Morris and Capitol reporter Dustin Gardner are here. We'll talk about what's in the bill, what it will cost you, whether it's a sweetheart deal for PG&E, and why San Francisco politicians were against it. J.D. Morris, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. So, J.D., we're talking today as the state enters another big fire season, potentially uh, PG&E which has caused a lot of the fires in the past, is gearing up. Agencies are gearing up. But this story really begins back in November. Um, Tell us about that week in November and how this story begins. So that was when Gavin Newsom was elected as California's next governor. And it was also the same week that the campfire, which quickly became the deadliest and most destructive wildfire in California history, ignited in the Sierra Nevadas east of Chico, um, killing 85 people, destroying more than 14,000 homes. And it became very clear from the get-go that Pacific Gas and Electric, the largest electric utility in California, served 16 million people, that its power lines had probably um, caused that wildfire. And then... And that's a year after they had been blamed for, PG&E had been blamed for a lot of the fires in the wine country that were so destructive. Right. And at that time, we did not know that um, the state would clear them of responsibility for the Tubbs fire in Santa Rosa. That was still an open question at the time. So, yeah, it, it compounded an already severe wildfire crisis facing PG&E and also, you know, with other fires having happened um, in the state and just kind of the outlook for that going forward, um, you know, cast a lot of uncertainty over the future for San Diego Gas and Electric and Southern California Edison, who are PG&E's counterparts down south. So how PG&E will pay for the, the wildfire liability and how PG&E will stop future wildfires, that's kind of been the center of your beat since you've been here, correct? Right. And what we've seen um, recently is that a lot of that is being ad- was addressed um, by the legislature with this big bill. Um, that they just passed to not only um, try to influence how PG&E is going to get out of bankruptcy and when that happens, um, but also what the state is going to do about this bigger problem of, you know, these wildfires caused by utility equipment um, by anyone, you know, just how how we're going to pay for that going forward. Um, And by anyone, I mean, Electric utilities. That's what this <laughs> and is you're all talking about. about AB 1054. Yes, the governor signed the bill this month. Can you kind of walk us through how we got to this bill and what it does, and kind of what it satisfies in the crisis that we're in? Sure, I will try to do that as quickly <laughs> and succinctly as I can. It's a very big bill um, with very big consequences for all of us going forward. Um, so. Gavin Newsom got into office in January and PG&E said that it would file for uh, bankruptcy protection pretty much uh, right around that time. I I believe it was the first week. Um, And he sort of very quickly put together a team of advisors to start studying 
um, what was going to happen, what what the state should be doing about this problem. They were building on work um, that the state had been doing the year before, after the horrible 2017 wildfires. And, you know, they were meeting for months and eventually, um, I forget when it was exactly, but they came out with an outline about kind of what various policy options for how to address wildfires and whatnot. There was another commission studying similar issues um, for a while, and it all culminated when Gavin Newsom eventually came out with his plan for what became um, AB 1054. The most important thing that it does, I think, is it creates this $21 billion um, fund that utilities can um, use to pay for future um, wildfire claims. It does not that fund is not going to be used to pay for PG&E's costs coming out of the campfire and the 2017 fires. But what the bill does is it says that if PG&E wants to access that fund in the future, it has to um, you know, get out of bankruptcy protection by the end of June 2020. Um, and it can't raise rates to pay for those claims. It has to figure Got out it. a way to pay for those without um, raising rates. And um, it also brings in like a lot of different changes for utility regulation. It requires the electric utilities to get their safety, to get new safety certifications on an annual basis, which they also need to access this fund. It um, shifts the burden of proof for when state regulators are um, considering whether and how a utility can pass wildfire costs along to customers. If that happens ever again in the future. Um, it makes the standard um, easier, more in favor of the utilities. So before they had to prove that they had acted reasonably, um, now if they have this annual safety certification, the um, uh, state will have to assume that they acted reasonably unless another party can raise serious doubts about that. Um, and then the utility would actually have to prove it. It does a number of other things. There's companion legislation as well um, that sets up some new a new state agency called the Office of Energy Infrastructure Safety that's going to be doing a lot of this work. Administering um, it. Yeah. Well, let's so, talk about the $21 billion. Um, Who pays for that? So half of it would be coming from us, technically not from the ratepayers, technically not through a ratepayer increase. So... This is where it gets it starts to get really complicated, but um, we all have a charge on our utility bills stemming from the last energy crisis in the early 2000s when the Department of Water Resources stepped in to help buy power because of a lot of reasons. Um, and that charge, we're almost done paying off that. That's supposed to sunset um, to go away, I think, in it's either next year or a little while after that. What they would do is they would extend that charge out. So we won't your okay. bills aren't going to go up, but something that should have a charge that's like two fifty a month on average, I think, for people that should have gone away is going to stick around. That would raise ten and a half billion. So and that's then, half of it. Yeah. And then the utility shareholders are supposed to kick in another ten and a half billion. Um, from that's PGE, Edison, and San Diego Gas and Electric. Okay. And for people that don't understand the way PG&E's finances work, we should probably explain it very briefly. When you say shareholders versus rate payers, right. what are you talking about in okay. terms of who pays for, for what projects? Rate payers are like you and me, customers. Um, 
shareholders are the people that own stock in these investor owned utilities because um, some electric utilities in the country are like government owned, government run. You know, it's like a part. It's like the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power is a part of the city of Los Angeles government infrastructure. The other model is to have private companies like um, PG&E, like PG&E and Edison, um, be providing your electric service. So that means that they're um, owned by shareholders, traded um, on a stock exchange, and those shareholders have a right to earn, um, you know, a profit off of their investment in the utility, but the state can restrict their ability to do that by steering those profits um, into things like this welfare fund, which is what they're doing here. And they have a guaranteed level of profits. So people that are watchdogs of PG&E are always asking that things like this come out of the shareholders' pockets, yes, not out of uh, lifting up rates. Right. In a set manner to, to exactly. pay for them. Okay. Exactly. All right. Well, JD, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, when we come back, we're going to have Dustin Gardner. He's a Sacramento uh, Capitol reporter for the Chronicle. And he's going to be talking about what this means for Gavin Newsom and also why some San Francisco based uh, politicians were against AB 1054. Right after this. All right, Dustin Gardner, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Dustin joins us from our Capitol Bureau in Sacramento. Dustin, we're talking about uh, AB 1054, this big wildfire legislation uh, that's been passed as we head into another potentially dangerous fire season. Talk to us about Gavin Newsom, the challenge that he's faced, and why he put together this bill and signed it. Yeah, this really was kind of the first crucial crisis that the governor's dealt with, kind of the first big, big catastrophe that he had to deal with since coming into office. Um, People might not remember this. It was only two days after he was elected. He was elected on November 6th and November 8th. The campfire broke out. Um, It became clear pretty quickly that this was going to be a catastrophic fire, kind of a doomsday scenario, Um, you know, obviously became the deadliest fire in state history. Um, So it was it's been probably one of the biggest tests of uh, the governor's administration so far. Um, And and about six months in, he was pretty aggressive and in pushing this plan uh, and, and made a big point of saying that something needed to get done before wildfire season this year. Uh, So I think there was just a lot at stake for the governor's office. But at this point, it seems like his administration feels pretty comfortable and confident that they were able to get this through so quickly. So how does he navigate the competing interests here? A lot of people are really angry at PG&E. On the other hand, PG&E is is essential to people getting power in the Bay Area and and throughout Northern California. How how does he deal with that? Yeah, I mean, the optics of this were huge. there, there was some some push um, from a task force the governor created um, that they were pushing to reverse this doctrine known um, as inverse condemnation. Basically, the rule that a utility can be held liable for uh, a wildfire, even if um, a wildfire spiked by their sparked by their equipment, even if um, it was not they were not at fault, even if it wasn't the result of negligence. Uh, and the governor resisted that. It could just be a very windy 
windy weather. It could be uh, wind blowing trees into their lines, et cetera. Right. And they'd still be held liable for that. Um, and, you know, and there was a push to reverse that that um, doctrine because the concern is that it was creating instability for the utilities, that they would, you know, just have these huge liability costs every year. Um, but but the optics of that, you know, obviously re- reversing that principle would would hold the utilities, they would have, you know, less responsibility for the cost of fires. So I think there was just a lot of concern that changing that would send the wrong message. And so the governor, I think, tried to kind of walk maybe sort of a middle line here by in creating this um, this fund for victims that the utilities are paying into, but also ratepayers are paying into. It's a tool that would allow um, the utilities to find some financial stability and not face, you know, kind of the 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 mountain of liabilities that they they would face um, without it there. But also, you know, the governor isn't going so far as to reverse that doctrine of inverse condemnation. Got it. Now, talk to me about who was for it and against it uh, in terms of the people that normally watchdog PG and E, uh, the the victims of these fires, etc. You know, it, it's. Basically, by the time this thing got through, it got through the legislature in two weeks. Um, There was pretty broad support for it. It passed in the Assembly on a 63-10 vote, 31-7 vote in the Senate. So that was pretty broad support. Um, And, you know, you you had victims groups supporting this because, you know, they just wanted to see something get done. You know, they they said it wasn't perfect, but it was better than nothing um, to get the ball. And they wanted to see PG&E get out of bankruptcy, too, right? Yeah. And, you know, th- yeah, they want PG&E to be stable. They want them out of bankruptcy. And in this sense, they feel like this gives them more leverage to get closer to some sort of settlement with with the utility. OK, now I, you reported that San Francisco's delegation, uh, Senator Weiner, uh, Assemblyman Ting and Chu uh, were against it. Why were they against the the, the final bill? Yeah, so some of the most vocal holdouts um, in in the Senate and the Assembly um, were, were San Francisco's delegation, and their their big concern um, for those lawmakers was a provision of the bill that would require more review of utility line transfers. This is when local governments would take over power lines from a utility. San Francisco is exploring um, the option of doing this with PG and E, and the bill would require those transfers to be reviewed. Um, by the Public Utilities Commission, uh, the statewide body that regulates utilities, the PUC. And that review, the, the PUC has traditionally been, I think, kind of hesitant um, or skeptical of these sort of transfers or takeovers of lines. And requiring that could make it more difficult for a city like San Francisco to take over its power lines. And so the lawmakers were not happy at all to see that tucked into the bill. And what, uh, before I let you go, what is next uh, for wildfire legislation? Is uh, the governor going to be pushing for other improvements? Yeah, I, the governor, you know, he made it very clear um, uh, the day that he signed this bill. He had a big signing ceremony in his office. Um, 
and in front of all the press, you know, he said this this is just phase one of our wildfire response. Um, he said we're we're sobered by the enormity of the task at hand. There's a lot more to do, and he kind of hinted at some areas where the legislature ha- w- might be taking up more more policy proposals when they return from their summer recess uh, in mid August. He suggested they have a lot more to do on fire prevention and home hardening, um, basically making homes less susceptible to fire embers. Um, And that was one of the areas where some lawmakers had said the bill didn't go far enough in terms of providing funding for preparedness. Um, So I think that's one area we'll see uh, the governor want to take on more. Another area he hinted at was the home insurance market. There's been a lot of concern that it's basically become uninsurable for, for homeowners to buy insurance in some areas of the state. And so he hinted the state might be exploring some sort of intervention that that would seek to stabilize that insurance market. Okay, Dustin, well, thank you so much for your time, and we'll, uh, we'll have you back again soon. Thanks so much. Thanks to Energy Reporter J.D. Morris and Capital Reporter Dustin Gardner for joining us, to Libby Coleman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.